0: Mark chapter four, beginning in verse one, it says, and again, he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away and some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop, but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30 fold, some 60 and some a 100. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable and he said to them, To you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables so that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word immediately, they receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and become unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30 fold, some 60 and some A hundred. Mark's attention turns from the identity of Jesus in chapter three to the teaching of Jesus in chapter four. Remember, in chapter three, verse twenty three, Mark introduced us to that new word parable. And he will use that word seven times in this chapter. In verse 2, in verse 10 and 11, in verse 13, in verse 33, and also in verse 34. Now Jesus will cover the themes of sowing in verses 1 through 20, shining in verses 21 through 25, reaping in verses 26 through 29, trusting in verses 35 through 41, Now, remember what the word parable means. It means to place two distinct things side by side and then begin to compare them or to throw alongside. We've defined a parable as an earthly story that illustrates a heavenly truth or a common story that would create. And illustrate spiritual principles. As a matter of fact, Warren Wearsby points out, quote, he used this approach so that he could arouse the careless, instruct the concerned, yet conceal the truth from his enemies who would use the truth against him. Yesterday, we had a wonderful time. We had our first annual beans and rice cook-off, and we were able to accumulate a lot of beans and rice that we'll use to feed the poor throughout the year, that will stock our cupboards, and that will help families, like I talked about when we were praying. When I was growing up, you probably heard that expression: the way to a man's heart is through his. Yeah, you guys know that saying. But Jesus is going to turn it on its head. And Jesus is going to say the way to a person's heart is not through his stomach, but through his ears. The ear gate is the way to the heart gate. As a matter of fact, remember in verse three, listen. And then he says, behold, a sower went out to sow again in verse. Nine. And he said to them. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so we learn something else. This parable is a key parable. This is what's known as a template. This is a key parable because he basically begins by saying, This is the first parable and the simple parable. And this is the parable that's going to unlock the door to all of the parables. Look, it says it again in verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Again, I want to draw to attention. Verses 10, 11 and 12. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable and he said to them, to you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. And remember what the mystery of the kingdom of God is in the New Testament. A mystery isn't something that was unknown that has now been cleverly revealed. A mystery was something that was concealed in the past, but now is revealed in the present. And the kingdom of God is that place where God has rule and reign and authority. So Jesus is going to be basically saying that this is a parable that helps us understand to know and enter into the kingdom of God. Now, there are four things that Jesus is going to bring out that we should know and that we should immediately embrace And that is that the condition of a person's heart determines that person's ability to receive the truth. Second, those who receive truth and act upon it will receive more. Third, those who reject truth will lose what little truth that they have. And fourth, we must respond to the truth. So part of the point of this parable is to draw out the serious seeker of truth for the person who is superficial, detached, apathetic and indifferent. This isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. The message is the message of the gospel of God's kingdom. Now, remember, he's talked about the gospel of God's kingdom in chapter one and in chapter two. And at the heart of that gospel, remember what we've already learned, that human beings are sinners in need of a savior. And that Jesus Christ is that Savior that God has sent Jesus into the world. And so at the heart of the gospel is the hope that sinful human beings will repent of their sin, embrace the message of hope, yield to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And part of this parable prompts another question. What is the truth about the condition of your heart? We've all heard the expression that the heart of the matter... Is the matter of the heart. And that's exactly true. So, the key to the parable there are three important elements that we've already seen there is seed, there is a sower, there is soil. Now, remember, the focus in this parable is the soil. The soil are conditions, heart conditions. In this parable, he reveals four kinds of hearts. Now, you need to understand something. You're in this parable. And so is your heart. The four hearts that he talks about is the hard heart and the shallow heart and the crowded heart and the fruitful heart. And make no mistake about it. It's a revelation of the condition of your heart. You know, it's interesting to me. Early on in the Bible, remember, the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says that God took dirt from the soil of the planet and he formed a man and he breathed life into that human being. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus will use soil to compare the condition of the human heart. As a matter of fact, the writer of Proverbs in chapter four, verse twenty three said, keep your heart with all diligence because out of your heart comes the issues of life. You know, early on, I learned. To love truth, I had a fourth grade teacher named Don Myers, I grew up in pretty difficult circumstances. We lived in the middle of the Mojave Desert. My mother was a single mom. My parents divorced when I was three years old. We didn't really have a whole lot. My idea of fun was being able to go to the school library. My fourth grade teacher helped with my very first science experiment. It was about soil. I learned in the fourth grade that the largest percentage of soil is usually about 45 percent consists of very small rock particles formed as a result of weathering and erosion. The process of wearing down rocks into sediments and moving them. And then 25 percent of a given soil is air. Another 25 percent is water. The remaining 5 percent is organic material. And it's the remains of plants and, and animals called humus Topsoil, that's the topmost layer of soil, usually contains more humus than does the subsoil. That's the layer under the topsoil. Topsoil is usually darker than subsoil. This is going to become important as we look at this particular passage. In the book, Unlocking the Mysteries of Creation, the author says, quote, The soil, the soil which sustains life, covers the earth's bedrock at an average of about 12 inches. Without this layer of life-producing dirt, the earth would be dead and sterile as the moon. This thin film of soil stands between humanity and extinction, unquote. You know, you can live without your gallbladder. You can make do without part of the lobe of your liver. There are certain portions of your intestine that you can live without, but you can't live without your heart. There's a reason why God made you. And there's a reason why he made your heart. Look again, the seed in verse 14. The sower sows the seed. Jesus tells us what the seed is. It's the word of God. Now, many of you know that a seed is pretty ordinary. It has an external frame that's very hard. It has an internal composition that has life. As a matter of fact, the New Testament talks about the Bible in that way. It says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. If you like history and archaeology and paleontology, some of you may watch the History Channel or the Science Channel. And you know that seed has been discovered that's 4,000 years old in Egypt that if placed in dirt and given water, it will germinate. The seed is powerful. A seed, when it germinates, it can push through rock. It can sometimes even break concrete. And so the Bible pictures the Word of God as living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The seed is fruitful because within the seed, it contains the elements that are necessary for the reproduction of life. And so fruit for the Christian living produces Christian character so there is the seed and then we know that there is the sower as a matter of fact Matthew's gospel chapter 13 verse 37 tells us plainly who the sower is he answered to them Matthew 13:37 he who sows the good seed is the son of man that's himself by implication that means The sower becomes the person who is teaching or preaching. You know, I have no power in and of myself. My opinion matters little. The reality is, though, the moment you open your mouth and the moment I open my mouth, the moment we open up our mouths and we begin to say the things that the Bible says. Human beings are sinners and they need a savior and that Jesus Christ is that savior. There's something powerful that begins to take place. So there is the seed and there is the sower. And now there is the soil. And it says in verse 15, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. There's the key. The hearts are the soil. Verse 16. These likewise are they which who sown on stony ground who in verse 16 when they hear the word immediately they receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time afterward when the tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake immediately they stumble now these are the ones sown among thorns they are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches the desires for other things enter and choke the word and be Become unfruitful, But these are the ones who sown on good ground around those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. By the way, according to agricultural experts, it is a huge crop. If you can have an eight to one ratio, if you can have 30 or 60 or 100 fold, we're talking about a major windfall. And so he describes four kinds of hearts. The hard heart. Remember, that's the one in verse five. Some fell on stony ground. For those of you who have never been to Israel, I want to paint a picture for you. In the opening, Jesus began to teach by the sea. He's in the northern part of Capernaum. The crowds have gathered. He sits in a boat. The boat is pushed off from the shore and he begins to teach them. As he begins to teach them, there off in the distance, it would have been a common sight to see a man sowing seed out on the path. In Israel, also, it's not unusual for you to have rocks everywhere. And so they would take the soil and they would remove the rocks and they would place the rocks side by side. And on those rocks, it would create sort of like man-made paths. And there was a path that would be hard and beaten down. And the surface of that hard path that was walked on over and over and over again, if the seed fell on that path, it was impenetrable. The birds would come and eat the seed. Often human hearts are hard. Maybe sometime in your life, your heart has been hard. Maybe a mother, a father, a brother or a sister, you're dealing with a hard-hearted relative At this point, you should ask this question of the text. What has created the hard heart? I think most of you know the answer. It's a hard life. Some of you understand what it means to have a hard life, what it means to grow up in difficult circumstances, Hard life from failed relationship. Hard life from bitter disappointments. Hard life from pride. Hard life from sin. And the sin and the pride and the disappointment and the failed relationships make your heart harder and harder and harder. And by the way, who hates the word of God? Satan. Who loves the hard heart? Satan, the hard heart is busy. The hard heart is uninterested. The hard heart is apathetic. And here's what we know, that the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of the hard hearted man or a woman. I don't want to hear it. I don't want this. This is not what I want. And but right away you begin to understand something from the story that Jesus has told. The problem isn't the seed and the problem isn't the sower. The problem is the soil. You know, hardly a week will go by where people won't ask me a question about the seed. Tell me what you think about the Bible. Can you trust it? Is it the word of God? And I will remind them that the Bible can be trusted and that it is the word of God. And people will ask me questions about Jesus. Is he really who he says he is? Is he the the son of God? Is he the person who came from heaven? But remember, remember, remember what Jesus is pointing out. The problem isn't the Bible and the problem isn't Jesus. The problem is the soil. And guess what? I love to answer your questions about the Bible. And I love to answer your questions about Jesus. But in the end, when a person won't come to Christ, when a person resists Christ, when a person rejects Christ... It isn't because of the soil and it is it isn't because of the seed and it isn't because of the sower it's because of the soil and the next question that you should ask that should be the important question in this text is can a hard heart be changed It depends on whether or not you believe the Isaiah scroll 600 years before Jesus gave this parable Isaiah said, Break up the fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. There were instructions concerning the hard heart. The hard heart can be broken. The hard heart can change. The hard heart can need water and water and breaking up that fallow ground. So there's the hard heart. And guess what? There's the shallow heart. Remember what we've already learned. The soil in Palestine lies on this very thin veneer. It's a very thin layer of soil on top of a thick layer of limestone. And so Jesus says... They, that likewise, they have no root in verse 17 in themselves. They endure only for a short time, verse 17. Afterward, when the tribulation or the persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they begin to stumble. The shallow heart is the one who receives the word that this is no root system to sustain the plant. No roots, little water. No water means no life. The sun comes up. The plant is scorched and it dies. Everyone learns early on that that we're dependent on the sun for life, aren't we? The sun produces its rays, which chemically are turned into vegetative material through the process of photosynthesis. You learn that in the fifth grade, the light shines, the plant translates it into nutrients, the same sun that creates the nutrients for life in a superficial setting destroys the plant. Is there a problem with the sun? No. There's a problem with the soil. The shallow heart is the emotional hearer, superficial, emotional, shallow, temporary, sentimental. This superficial, emotional, shallow is like the sentimental person. You know what a sentimental person is. They go to a movie. They see a sad story and they cry. For some of you, it's like I cry at commercials. Everything, it just affects me. I I hear a sad story and it has this profound effect on me. Hey, by the way, it's not. Wrong for you to be sensitive, and it's not wrong for you to be sentimental, and it's not even wrong for you to be emotional. The point is that the true believer requires real roots. Often persecution and affliction and suffering reveals just how shallow one's faith might be and how superficial it might be. The true believer needs deep roots and the shallow heart lacks both will and mind. Remember what the problem of the hard heart lack of understanding the problem with the shallow heart lack of depth. Haven't you ever wondered why there's so many churches in America, so many Bible studies in America, so many Christian events and programs in America? But where are the committed Christians? Where are the people who are committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ and following Jesus? The shallow heart looks for what it can get. Just like the person who goes to the movie, they see the movie, they cry at the movie, they leave the movie and their lives aren't changed. They go to church, they open their Bible, they read the story, they hear exciting stories, and they cry a tear. They pray a prayer. They may have even walked down the aisle and prayed a sinner's prayer and promised to give their life to Christ. But there's something wrong and there's something missing because the shallow heart looks for what it can get. And the moment there's problems, the moment there's suffering, the moment there's persecution, a person says, Well, then why did God do this? And why did God do that? Why did God take away my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my job? When trouble comes, when affliction presents itself, the shallow heart gives up, fizzles out and quits. These are the people who try Jesus. They think they mean it when they pray the prayer. But there's no substance in their soul. The shallow heart has little understanding, and little understanding of sin, and a little understanding of repentance, and a little understanding of forgiveness, and a little understanding of reconciliation. The hard heart and the and the, and the shallow heart turn into the crowded heart, and you'll notice in Jesus's description of the crowded heart there are three weeds. Look what it says in verse eighteen. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They're the ones who hear the word in verse 19. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. Enter in, choke the word, and they become unfruitful. Three weeds, none of them are medical marijuana, by the way. There's the worry weed and the wealth weed. And the greed weed, the worry weed is called the cares of this world. The worry weed includes the worries of this life, worldly worries. What about my bills? What about my debts? What will I eat? How will I live? How will I survive? The worry weed makes sure that there's plenty of fear. Because if there is plenty of fear, there's no room for worship. There's no room for fellowship. There's no room for friendship with Jesus in the South, they say. Worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but you won't get anywhere. Some people love to rock, don't they? They love to sit in that chair and they love to rock because it's comforting. And some people love to worry. They love it. Because guess what? In direct proportion to their worry, they don't have to worship. They don't have to fellowship. And there's no need for friendship. No wonder Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body or what you wear. It says in Matthew 6, don't try to carry tomorrow's troubles, trials, tests with today's grace. The Bible says sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. You have been given mercy today and you've been given grace today and you've been given a provision today. Use the provision today for today the worry weed and the wealth weed this is the deceitfulness of riches that he talks about this is the glamour of wealth and the prestige of wealth and the position of wealth this is the love of and commitment to make lots and lots and lots of money by the way the Bible teaches that The desire to be rich can be both a snare and a hindrance. The Bible doesn't condemn wealth, by the way. The Bible warns the wealthy that wealth will always promise more than it can deliver. You know what it will never do? It will never give you peace. It will never provide for you forgiveness of sins. Do you realize that it can't? provide joy and it can't provide peace it can't provide forgiveness it can't provide the reconciliation with the father and that's why it says it's going to promise you more than it can deliver and the greed weed this is the desire for other things i call it the covetous cactus This is the weed once eaten. It causes you to keep up with the people in your neighborhood. New cars, new houses, new, better, bigger. Bling! This is the condition that motivates you to buy, 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 buy what you don't need to impress people you don't like with money that you don't have. (laughs) You know, I heard the story again of a southern boy and a southern girl. They were courting. And the boy said... Cynthia, I love you with my whole heart. I love you more than anything in this world. I want to marry you. I'm not rich like Don Jones. I don't have a yacht like Don Jones. I don't have a Rolls Royce like Don Jones. I don't have a great job like Don Jones, an impressive education like Don Jones. I'll love you forever. And the girl stopped and says, you know, I, I love you too. But could you tell me a little bit more about, about Don Jones? The crowded heart is crammed with lots of things. But some of those things don't include faith, and it certainly doesn't include belief. And that's why Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love the one, or you're going to hate the other. You're going to embrace the one, or you're going to despise the other. We can only serve one master at a time. And for the person with the hard heart and the person with the shallow heart and the person with the crowded heart, that master is a monster and it will eat you up and it will consume you. Spurgeon was right when he said, you must keep all earthly treasures out of your heart and let Christ be your treasure and let him have your heart. John White said, the God of greed is a cheat. His delights have the power to dazzle and excite, but they can never satisfy anyone. And so Jesus speaks of the fruitful heart. He says, but these are the ones that are sown on good ground. Verse 20, those who hear the word, I want to draw special attention to the singular use of that expression in verse 20. The word, it's not the words, it's the word Why does he use that expression? Because he's talking about the overarching message of the Bible. This is the word. The word is the message that has come from God to the people who live on the earth and is constituted from the first sentence in Genesis to the last sentence in Revelation. The word is the sum and the substance of the revelation that God has spoken through Christ Jesus, the Lord, the word, the word, the word is the message of hope that human beings sinners have a. Savior Jesus Christ the Lord and that Jesus loves you and that he died for you and that he rose from the dead they're the ones who bring forth fruit by the way the hard heart the shallow heart the superficial heart the crowded heart can never produce fruit You know what they are? They're conspicuous by their lack of fruit. Note the contrast. In contrast to the hard heart, the fruitful heart is soft. The shallow heart is superficial. The fruitful heart is deep. The crowded heart is dirty, filthy, ugly. The fruitful heart is clean and pure. Think about that for just a moment. The fruitful heart, soft, deep, Clean. No wonder in Galatians chapter 5, Paul put it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ. In Galatians 5, it is the fruit of the Spirit is love. Jesus is love. Joy. Jesus is joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 7.20, by their fruit you will recognize them. When my brother and I were very young, we would go to the Los Angeles fruit market and we would buy fresh fruit and we would haul it up to the desert along 395. And where the where the road turns off between the desert and Palmdale, we would set up a fruit stand and when we, and we would sell fresh fruit. And one of the adventures was discovering what makes fresh fruit fresh. And discovering new fruits from all around the world. But that's the point that Jesus is making. By their fruit you will recognize them. Our actions like fruit is the best indicator of what lies beyond the surface of the bark. You may not be able to recognize a tree until you see it produce its fruit. And the fruitful heart knows about sin. The fruitful heart knows about repentance. The fruitful heart knows about commitment. The fruitful heart shares the good news and provides 30, 60, 100-fold return. The Puritan preacher Richard Baxter wrote, quote, See that your chief study be about your heart. That there God's image may be planted and his interest advanced, and the interest of the world and the flesh subdued, and the love of every sin cast out, and the love of holiness succeed. You see, the presence of pain doesn't mean the absence of fruit, suffering, affliction, trial. John Bunyan, most famous for his book, Pilgrim's Progress, made the comment, quote, It is said that in some countries, trees will grow, but will bear no fruit because there is no winter there. Do you realize that there are certain special fruit that will only grow in a climate where there are four seasons and typically with at least two seasons? Fresh fruit requires heat and it requires cold And for you to become something other than superficial, it's going to require that your heart be dug deep. This is one of those great moments when you should ask yourself another question. Is my life a fruitful life? Are you fruitful with your wealth and talent and time? What are you doing for Jesus at this very moment? The other thing is not just about the ground of your heart, but also the guard on your heart. A careful reading of the parable reveals that the three hearts had three enemies. Did you see that? The world, the flesh, the devil. The hard heart, the devil, the flesh, the shallow heart, the world, the crowded heart. Have you ever thought about that? That these enemies crowding out the heart, making a hard heart, making a a shallow heart, making a crowded heart. But guess what? You will seek to please men or you will seek to please God. You will be a servant of yourself or you will be a servant of Satan. Are you a servant to the enemies of God? Or are you a servant to God? By the way, remember how you hear and receive God's word becomes the best indicator of the condition of your heart. Has the gospel penetrated your heart? Have you received the good news and accepted the good news about Jesus right now? Right now, the most important thing that we can do is to listen to Jesus. He who has an ear to hear, let them hear. By the way, the Lord God will hear what the heart speaks. In Matthew 12, 34, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, The mouth speaks, but the heart has an ongoing conversation that is taking place 24-7. And what is God hearing from you? You know, there's a famous atheist and skeptic, Isaac Asimov. He wrote, quote, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse, unquote. I wish, I wish, I wish you could hear Asimov speak right at this very moment from hell. But God in his mercy and God in his perfect majesty, he doesn't allow us to be persuaded by voices in heaven or voices in hell. He allows us to be persuaded by the voice of Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the word of God that's given right at this very moment. The Bible says it's your heart that perceives God and not your head. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart will need to be broken. The shallow heart will need depth. The crowded heart will need to be weeded. And the hard heart has to be broken. The shallow heart needs more than just an emotional appeal. And if your heart is clogged and choked and strangled with the love of this world and the things of this world... You won't hear. I want you to just take a moment, just some time, just for a moment. And ask yourself just a few questions. Even as we close our service. What is my attitude about the word of God? What is the condition of the soil of my heart? Hard. Shallow. Crowded fruitful and make no mistake about it your heart cannot be hard and fruitful shallow and fruitful crowded and fruitful by the way the next question what fruit has come from my life lately has anyone been to your garden lately am i helping others bear fruit No wonder Jesus said, take heed what you hear. No wonder Jesus said, take heed that you hear. No wonder he said, take heed how you hear. Because you are listening. And I'm hoping it's with a soft heart. And a deep heart. And a clean heart. John. Flavel, who was one of the great early church Bible teachers, said, heart work is hard work. Heart work is hard work. He said, get your heart broken for sin while you're actually confessing it melted with free grace, even while you're blessing God for it to be really ashamed and humbled through the awareness of God's infinite holiness and to keep your heart in this state, not only in but after these duties will surely cost you some groans and travailing. That means laboring pain of your soul. The moment that you look in God might want to pluck some weeds he might want to break up some hard ground because he wants your heart deep and soft and clean let's pray Heavenly Father Lord, we know that the teaching of Jesus is powerful because the word of God is powerful. Lord, there is so much whenever Jesus opens his mouth. But Lord, we know what Jesus wants. A change of heart. A clean heart. A pure heart. Lord, we pray. That by your Holy Spirit, Lord, we would come to that place where we would do some deep searching. Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit is free to take a soil sample any time he desires. And Lord, I pray that he will find something deep, soft, pure. The very ground that will produce fruit. And again, Father, I pray for that person who needs to turn from their sin and turn to You. Lord, they've walked away. They've distanced themselves from You. And they need to turn around and they need to turn around now. Lord, I pray that that's exactly what they would do. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would yield to the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand.